0: Uh, when I'm out and about during my week, is to ask people their stories. I love to ask people about uh, their story. I love to ask people questions. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting my hair cut, and I was chatting with my barber, and I was asking him about his story. We got to, to having this great chat, and he part of his history and his story was that he was a very successful businessman and uh, made a lot of money very quickly and as part of that he got really into the party scene and so uh, part of that was substances and drugs and uh, it kind of sent him on a path that he wasn't really happy about and so as we're talking I, I said to him well well how are you here now and what was part of your recovery, and so he was talking about the fact that his life has changed, and that um, as part of that transformation, uh, he, he's uh, he had a career change, and he loves to help people around him, and his whole attitude towards life has changed. And so, as we're talking, I said, "How did that happen?" He said, "Well, one of the things that I discovered was the power of myself. I discovered this kind of inner power, and." It's kind of allowed me to tap into my inner source of energy. And that's how I was able to make this change. And I, I said, that's, that's really good. Um, I, I'm so delighted for you. But then I asked him this question. I said, but what about helping others? How, where does that come from? Your desire to help others? And he kind of looked at me sheepishly because uh, we've had a couple of conversations. And he said to me very quietly, he goes, well, well, that's from Jesus. I got that from Jesus. And a question, and I believe one of the starting questions for anyone who is on a spiritual journey and wants to find out more about Jesus is, who is Jesus? It's a big question. One of the things that we're passionate about as a church is discipleship, is helping people learn and live what it is to follow Jesus. And one of the key discipleship questions is who is Jesus? Personally, I think it's sometimes in church a question that we kind of rush over and we go, oh yeah, 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 I, I know who Jesus is. I, I've read the Bible. I've, I've read the stories. But who is Jesus? And that question is, takes on different meaning when you really start to understand it. Now, let me give you an example. I could say to you, I am a pilot. And you could go, cool, you're a pilot. You've said that you are. It takes on a different meaning if I say, I'm a pilot. Why don't you come and fly with me in a two-seater plane? Who knows that that question and that statement has a different spin? And the same is with Jesus. When we really start to dig into that question, who is Jesus? Not just did he exist, not just was he a uh, moral or a philosophical teacher or a good person, but actually, who is Jesus? Is he who he says he is? Things change a little bit. Because when you think about that question and when you begin to understand that question, it requires trust. Just like there's a difference between me saying I'm a pilot and you jumping in a two-seater plane with me, that is a different thing. It requires trust. So who is Jesus? And to answer this question, we've got to say, who did he claim to be? In John 14, 6, Jesus made this statement, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, one of the things you'll notice about this statement is that there is an ultimatum. There is a choice. It's black and white it's going to force a decision. Who likes ultimatums? Who like I do not like ultimatums. But with Jesus, we have an ultimatum. And so, what, what can we say about this statement? When we understand what Jesus claimed about himself, it puts it in a different light. Because when we look at this statement, we have to go, well... Was Jesus a liar? If we believe that Jesus existed, he was a good person, he was a good teacher, but he said this, but if we don't believe this, was he a liar? The other option is, was he a lunatic? Was he like a crazy person? Was he unhinged? That's another option. But if you believe Jesus was who he says he was, and we know historically he existed, and there's historical evidence for the Bible, but it gives another option that Jesus actually is who he says he is, that he is Lord. He is the Son of God. And we're in this series called Re-You, which is all about statements that define us. Last week, we looked at the one you can catch up on YouTube and online, the statement was, I am made in the image of God. I am made in the image of God. If we understand we are made in the image of God and God is love, we are made by love, for love, and to love. And today our statement is this one. I am changed by the truth of Jesus. Can you say that with me? I am changed by the truth of Jesus. Now this passage, this statement, this by Jesus in John fourteen six, it tells us three things about truth. There are three things that we understand. First, is that truth is an ultimatum. Truth is an absolute. At the moment in our society, we don't, many people don't believe that truth is absolute or has absolute. We call it relativism. And we say, this is a common phrase, your truth is not my truth. So that's fine. You do you. James Bay, any James Bay fans here? If you've never heard of James Bay, Google him afterwards, singer. He's got this song, Baby You Do You and I'll Do Me. But truth with Jesus is an ultimatum. The other thing, and this is really fascinating, truth, is a person. If you want to understand Christianity and understand Jesus, we don't just see truth as facts. But we see that truth is actually a person revealed in Jesus, and more than that, truth becomes a way of living. If you want to understand Jesus, to follow Jesus, and what it means to be a disciple, you need to understand these things. It's an ultimatum. And Jesus is... Revealed Truth is revealed in a person, and truth is a way of living. And I want to talk about the transforming power of truth to change a person. To change a person. John 8, 32. Jesus says, Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, freedom is found in the truth. But as the Bible defines freedom, it's different. We think freedom is doing whatever we want, whenever we want, in whatever way pleases us. The Bible, that's not the biblical definition of freedom. The biblical definition of freedom is the ability to give and receive love. To freely give and receive love. This is what it means to be free. And so this is what Jesus says. He wants to invite us into a freedom that is found in understanding and living truth. But this next scripture, this is what is really, really interesting. John 17, 15 to 17. And this is in a passage of scripture where Jesus is praying. And this is so cool. Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is saying, my idea is not that we create convents, not that we have kind of elaborate places where we just get as many Christians as possible. He says, that's not my plan. My plan is that we are out in the world living and loving Jesus. But he says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, but listen to this, this is so exciting. He says, sanctify them, By the truth, your word is truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means to be made holy and to be made in a way in which we become different because we're like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to live like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I'm dissatisfied by some of the things that I see And I hear from myself because they're not reflective of the image of love and of peace and of joy that Jesus has created. I get disappointed with myself at times. But how do I change? And Jesus says here that truth is the process of change. How do I change? I change by truth. And I'm going to talk even practically about how we do this and unpack this. And what I believe is that people change through two things, truth and trust. Truth and trust. What is true and can I live that truth out in a way that requires something of me? Because you can just have a a hypothetical belief, but actually uh, living out a truth and putting your trust in a truth That is totally a different thing. And the process of changing, in the process of changing, we are faced with moments of truth. And here's what I believe, that at the heart of every change is a moment of truth. Now, a moment of truth is a truth choice between opposing truths that requires action. I'm going to say that again. A moment of truth is a truth choice between opposing truths that requires action. Do you know that we can have facts, we can have information, but the way that we process that internally is not always logical. Do you ever notice that about yourself? Do you ever notice that you're often really good at selling yourself a really bad idea? That if you really want something, then you will find all the information, all the justification that you can. Let's talk about peanut M&M's. Okay, I have a few weaknesses, kryptonite, I don't want to reveal them, too many, but peanut M&Ms are my crypt- kryptonite. I used to have a habit, a three o'clock chocolate habit, and every three o'clock, every, uh, three o'clock every time in the office, a couple of different offices I worked, walked, I would go either searching for chocolate, go down to like the little convenience store to get chocolate or just like roaming the hallways for chocolate. Sometimes I would buy this uh, family-sized bag of peanut M&M's because it was on sale, right? Because I'm a bargain hunter, all right? If I keep saving money like this, I'll be a millionaire, okay? I think it was like 25% off or something like that. Amazing. But if I have a bag of M&M's, peanut M&M's, I will, something crazy will happen in my brain. I know that I shouldn't eat all the bag myself in half an hour. I know that. There's a lots of reasons that I know that, but will I listen to myself? No, my brain will go crazy. Sometimes I used to try like, okay, I'm just going to put eight out on my desk and put the rest in my drawers. Anyone ever tried that? And so I just, I just had those eight and then I'm like, okay, just another eight. And then I'm just like, no, and then I'm just like tipping the the bag. Ah. We are really good at selling ourselves bad ideas. We can't, I don't believe as as humans, we can say that we're logical. Because our logic, our intrinsic logic, is actually orientates us around our desires, what we want. I want peanut M&M's. Are they good for me? No, they are not. Am I going to eat a lot of them? Yes, if they're nearby. Okay? So we we sometimes know what is good, we know what is right, but there's a process that's going on where we just sell ourselves a really bad decision. And this is the human condition. We don't always act with our best interests in mind. But more often, we act with our immediate interests in mind. Who's ever been in a situation like that? That's me. Not our best interest. What do I want right now, in this moment? We don't always act with others' interests in mind or best interests. We act with our own self-interest. That's just for me. Everyone else, you're pretty good with that. But for me, we act in our own self-interest and so we're talking about moments of truth and these moments of truth create a conflict with what you want and what you do so there's this conflict we've got this truth coming in, in all kinds of different ways but the way that we process it it doesn't leave us in a good position What's one of the most specific transformations you can think about if you've read a little bit of the Bible, particularly the New Testament? What's one of the most significant? I would say you'd, you'd probably say if we asked around probably Saul, also known as Paul. That's one of the most significant. So Saul was uh, this really educated and learned kind of religious officer, And he was so convinced of this truth that uh, Christianity and Jesus was destroying. It was so harmful to the Jewish religion that he decided to take action. And he was uh, killing Christians, imprisoning Christians, and kind of chasing and hunting people all over. He even uh, was there, if you read in, in uh, uh, the book of Acts, he was there and he was overseeing the, first, the death of the first martyr, a guy by the name of Stephen. And Stephen was stoned. Okay, He was bludgeoned to death with rocks. So I don't know if you know much about the process of stoning someone, But it's incredibly barbaric. It's essentially like repeatedly uh, bludgeoning, beating someone with rocks. Not just little rocks, not surgically, not like a David and Goliath kind of thing. But actually getting someone on the ground and just smashing their organs and their head, usually with large rocks. So this is graphic. This is disturbing. And Saul, Paul, he's doing this because he's so convinced of this truth that he he needs to take action. But something happens with Saul and he had a moment of truth. Acts chapter 9, 1 to 5. You can read along or you can just listen. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. whom you are persecuting he replied now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do now here's what i love about this story i love in this story is the power of jesus to reveal himself to people and i don't know where you're at in your circumstance but i know that jesus wants to reveal himself in a new and special way to you And so we have this moment of truth, this amazing moment of truth. But also what I love about the story of Saul, Paul, wrote most of the books of the New Testament, was that his life wasn't just a single moment of truth. How do we change? How do we be sanctified to be like Jesus we, we are sanctified, we are changed when we learn to live moments of truth. We get these situations, and I know that you've had them, and I know that the, in those times, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, how do we define that? Sometimes it's a feeling, sometimes it's a, a knowing, sometimes we can hear something in our mind, sometimes occasionally even the audible voice of God. And we know what is true, and we're at a crossroads. But most of those crossroads are not always... Most of the time, there's, there's not Jesus appearing. That happens sometimes. But we know what is right and what is wrong. And sometimes we choose what is right. But other times, we don't. And so my encouragement is that we are going to be changed to be like Jesus by learning to live out those moments of truth, by learning to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit within us in little moments, in everyday moments of our life. That's how we change. I believe in encounters. I believe that God can shift things, generational things, that he can change hearts, but most of the time, it's by taking action in these little moments of truth. Now, Paul understood this. And he, he wrote this letter, and it's found in Titus 1.1. And he says, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it says, I've been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them... To know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. How are we going to be transformed? We're going to be transformed in knowing the truth and then living out that truth in moments of truth. Learning to take action, learning when we're at that fork in the road to choose what is right, to choose what we know is good not to choose just what we want in that moment. And that's really hard. So we, we're encouraged to live out these moments of truth. Now, what I've said before is the problem with this is that we've got this internal battle between what we know is right and good and what we really want in a moment, and that's all of us. The other thing that we know is that we're really good at selling ourselves on bad decisions and bad choices. So how are we going to, what is a process, what is something that's helpful for us to be able to move forward and to learn how to live out a moment of truth? Now, my experience is, both with myself and in terms of leading and discipling other people, is that telling people what to do is not the most effective way to lead someone. Who who knows this? Who has kids? All right? Little, Little babies there. Little Mason, little Jonas. How are they doing with their chores? No, they're only... I've got... We have three beautiful kids and um, I, my uh, eight-year-old just turned eight, I think, just before he turned eight, I, we have this thing where it's really difficult to put shoes on in the morning and so I don't know, it's not a very effective strategy, but I will just repeat the same thing over and then escalate, okay, all those uh, with young kids. Don't do this, okay? This is ineffective. And so I said, come on, mate, put on your shoes. Mate, grab your shoes. Where are your shoes, mate? Can you find your shoes? Can you put your shoes on? Can, 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 you, get, can you get your shoes? And then I've, I've gone the classic, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to tell you? And he thought that that wasn't a rhetorical question, so he says, three. You need to tell me three times. So who knows that that's not the most effective way and I could just tell you what to do and you could tell me what to do. But there's something that's more effective and what we need to learn to do is to create questions within our own mind and allow new truth to question our old truth. Okay, let me give you an example. Here's the process. We need a goal. We need a new truth. We need a question. And we need a now. Let me give you an example and a scripture. I wanted to try and make this as practical as possible because the stakes are high. If we can learn how to live out the truth of God, we can be changed. When I'm changed, I'm a better parent, I'm a better husband, I'm a better leader, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better employee, I'm a better employer, and something begins, I become more peaceful when I begin to be more like Jesus. So let me give you an example. Here's the first one, the goal. When I wanted to leave my past behind, the new truth... That Jesus had forgiven my sins once and for all, made me question why I keep reliving the past in my head, and now I can be free from the bad decisions of life. I've got two scriptures there. Hebrews 10. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ when once and for keep going back previous one okay so we have a goal we have a new truth and we want to create a question because we want to try and break this circuit of logic that we've created and we want to kind of say why we got a question because i could just tell you what to do or uh, someone that you know, maybe your husband or your wife or someone you live with, someone could just tell you, you need to do this, you need to do that. But it's not going to be effective for transformation. We need to allow new truth. Here's another one. When I wanted to live in sexual purity and freedom, the new truth that sexual sin is momentary and unfulfilling made me question why I keep trying something that doesn't work. And now I have the perspective I need to change Hebrews 11:25. Jesus chose to be retreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Here's another one. When I wanted to spend in tr- time in prayer, the new truth that time with God is a source of life and peace made me question why I keep putting it off, and now I have the power to make it a priority. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, and a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Here's the last one. When I wanted to learn to live generously, the new truth that God will provide for me as I obey him made me question why I don't give to others, and now I have the power to share financially with others. Here's what Jesus says Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm going to invite Aidan to come. Here's how we change. Here's how we are made in the likeness of Jesus. Here's how we learn to live a life of peace and a life of joy. We learn it by living out moments of truth this week probably today you'll be faced with a crossroads in a small thing or maybe a big thing and at that moment the wonderful voice of the Holy Spirit will encourage you and say choose truth in this moment don't just choose what you want or don't just choose based on habit or pattern or a way of thinking or how you were brought up but choose based on the new truth that's revealed by Jesus in his word i believe that Jesus wants us to understand this concept as a church community Because in that, there is so much freedom. And I just love everyone to uh, just take a moment, just bow your heads wherever you are. And I just want to uh, just pray for a couple of groups of people. There's some people here that have experienced trauma. Trauma. Have had some things happen to them that were horrible, unfair, not right. And Jesus knows and He cares and He weeps, but He also invites you to live freely. And he's inviting you. And if that's you, you don't need to respond in any particular way. But just agree and just say, God, that's me. The new truth is that in Jesus, you have freedom, you have the power to give and receive love freely love from God, love from others. And so, God, we just pray. For those, Lord, we also pray. There's some people here who uh, the family that they grew up in, the family pattern, the way of operating, the way of dealing with things is unhealthy. And the new truth is you're part of a new family now, you're part of God's family now. Some of you haven't had great examples of. Uh, fathers or mothers or marriage. And Jesus is saying, look to me. Look to me. Your history is not your future. Through me, you have the power to live in freedom, to think differently, to talk differently, and to go forward in the things of God of God truth is a person truth is Jesus truth has a name and truth has a way of living just real quick before we finish we're going to finish in about two minutes I want to give an invitation to anyone who has not yet decided to follow Jesus it doesn't mean that you know everything uh, about Christianity. Or Jesus, but it means that you want to put Jesus first and learn what it is to live in truth. And if that's you, uh, while everyone's uh, heads are bowed, why don't you lift up your hand so that I can see that wherever you may be. Is that you? Is there anyone here? Awesome, let me pray. Jesus, as a community, we want to be people that live out moments of truth that choose you time after time after time that choose peace instead of worry that choose joy instead of sorrow that choose generosity instead of living for themselves so lord we thank you for that and we honor you for that in jesus name In Jesus' name. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. I want to encourage you at some stage, maybe now as we're kind of having some uh, morning tea together or sometime during the week, talk about the message. Share a thought with somebody. Encourage someone else. This is what it means to be a church community. And so uh, we have a responsibility to encourage one another, to love one another, to pray for one another. Um, I'm going to invite anyone who wants prayer for anything. uh, Just there'll be a couple of people up the front uh, available to pray. Other than that, uh, we're going to have some tea and some snacks that are going to be coming through.